Our reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 26 and 50 to 58. The resurrection of the dead. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been fought, swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let me start by adding my welcome to you this morning. If I haven't met you before or if you're new to us here, uh, my name is Aidan and I'm the curate here at Christchurch. Now, as Paul said, we're going to be continuing our series looking at honest questions. And this is part two, responding to the many questions we had uh, that people sent in around suffering. Why does God allow so much suffering? Particularly, that's relevant at the moment in the, in the world that we live in. And just like Paul said last week, I need to start by saying very clearly 
that really I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to this question. In, a, in fact, like, it's something I've been struggling with my whole Christian life. It's a question I come back to again and again. And all we can hope to do in these sermons is just hopefully give some kind of pointers, some helpful reflections that we found useful uh, in our journeys. And, and, but the reality is they're probably not going to satisfy everyone completely. There's still going to be questions coming up from this. But that is what our question, our series, sorry, is all about. And one thing that I can say for sure is that God is okay with questions. God is okay with us struggling with things. Paul was brilliant last week in how he showed how the Bible encourages us to be honest with our questions, honest with our struggles and our suffering. And even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, God somehow is at work in that. And I truly, truly do believe that. And I could uh, kind of recap everything that Paul said, but do go check that talk out. Also look at the resources that he mentioned uh, that are available in the description below uh, or on our website, or they'll get emailed out this, this week. <clears throat> but for now, today, we're going to continue to wrestle with this topic of suffering. Why does God allow so much suffering? And as Paul alluded to last week, uh, we're going to take a bit more of a kind of big picture, a theological approach because when we were reading the questions that were sent in by people, um, we, we felt as a team that maybe some of them um, could be helped by having a better theological grounding, a better understanding of kind of what is going on in the world and in life. Um, and that isn't to criticize anyone who wrote in. Uh, no, not at all. Actually, I think, I, I and many others think that probably the church across the world, but especially in the West, has kind of not been great on teaching on this topic, not been great at equipping our believers, our, 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 our church members, to handle this question theologically. Um, and it's kind of like, it, I don't know about you, but suffering is like the kind of quiet elephant in the room of everyone's minds. And, and we've, we can do our best to ignore it, but then it kind of, at the moment, with all the suffering that's going on and a pandemic that's you know, it's crazy. We can't ignore that elephant anymore, but now we don't have the tools to really engage with it. So hopefully that's what we'll do this morning. Uh, and I do believe there are tools <laughs> to help engage with it. You know, as someone who's been in church ministry for nine years now uh, in different forms, uh, this is a question I've been asked lots and lots of times. I used to be a student pastor and uh, students who are non-Christian, they would ask me this all the time. They would come up and ask me, why does God allow suffering? Um, and not also our Christian students, you know, who are maybe moving away from their, their parents' home and they were trying to work, find their way as Christians in a secular world, away from that safety net, they would ask this question a lot. So it's something I've kind of come up against or come, come into contact with a lot. And so I thought I'd just this morning I would share kind of how I would approach it theologically. And my prayer is that it would bless you uh, wherever you find yourself dealing with this question emotionally uh, this morning. Uh, but before we do anything else, should we pray together? Father God, I pray for anyone and everyone who is listening to this talk. Father, I pray that wherever we find ourselves emotionally and spiritually this morning, that you might minister to us. I pray that you would take these words, these thoughts that I have, the words from Scripture and the words that the Bible encourages us with, Lord, I just pray you'd use them to build your kingdom again. 
help us to grapple with this question and find you in the midst of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, whenever I am asked, why does God allow suffering? The first thing I do is that I ask a question of my own. And this isn't kind of some debate technique or to trick people out, but because it's really important to clarify something. And my question is this, what kind of suffering do you mean? What kind of suffering do you mean? Because there are various answers I would get to that question. Occasionally, it might be from someone maybe who's an atheist who would have a kind of philosophical argument as to why God uh, would, you know, couldn't exist. A loving God can't exist. And they're trying to disprove the existence of God. And the argument is something like, a loving God would not allow suffering. Suffering exists. Therefore, God doesn't exist. A loving God doesn't exist. And, that, and we might have a theological discussion, so a, a philosophical, sorry, discussion. Um, and I could talk about the flaws in that, but, but really that conversation is quite rare and it's probably not what we're going through at the moment. See, most people, when they ask this question, why does God allow suffering, their response is a lot more emotionally weighty. You know, sometimes the answer might be like, well, why did God let my child die? And can you see how it's so important for us to identify the real question being asked or the suffering that we're talking about? Because if someone asked me that question, that such emotionally heavy question, why did my child die? And I start going off about a philosophical argument that I'm going to completely miss the point and cause far more damage than I could ever hope to help with. And, and it, my argument might, might be strong, it might be sound, it might be theologically correct, but I miss the point. So... What kind of suffering do we mean? And whilst we do get those times where people ask stuff and actually they're not really looking for an answer from us in some way, we just, they just need someone to weep with them. So most of the time when we engage with this question, people will have some emotional weight to it, but it might be in a place where we can kind of talk a bit more generally and kind of engage with it a bit more deeply, I suppose, in some ways. Um, you know, in those cases, you can generally separate the suffering that someone's talking to, talking about, into two categories, okay? The first category is that a person, the person I'm talking with, has a problem with evil. And why does God allow evil and people to do evil things? You know, they might, when I say, you know, what kind of suffering do you mean? They might say, well, why does God allow someone like Hitler to exist? Why didn't God step in and stop people like Jimmy Savile or Ian Huntley? Or they may be talking about structures, you know, that, that, that suit people and, and harm others. You know, why does God allow some people to have the rich things and all the best things in the world and other people, to, millions, to starve? And when, I, when someone says this, I again need to ask another question just to clarify what we're talking about. Because again, I think this is really helpful. Which is, do you mean you have a problem with God allowing people to do evil things? Do you have a problem with God allowing people to do evil things? And this is a really tough and, and a really good question to ask. And in this case, we have a discussion maybe around free will. 
and, and God allowing that. And, and we might look at parts in the Bible like Genesis 3 and the fall and sin and what sin is, you know, what the Bible says sin is. We might look at places like Romans 3 where uh, it says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we kind of look at, you know, how human beings have this propensity to do evil, but we might look at how God and Jesus is the solution to sin and, and kind of engage and have a conversation about that. And this is something that we can definitely explore, but again, I don't want to do too much on that this morning because I don't think that's the real question that we're asking most of us uh, during this pandemic with COVID and everything. Because the other category I think is more important. The other category that I would get asked um, when I say, you know, what kind of suffering do you mean? People would ask something like, you know, why does God allow hurricanes? Why does God uh, allow diseases and viruses to spread? Uh, you know, why does God allow so much suffering through those things? Why does God allow coronavirus to kind of seemingly get in, you know, is, why is God allowing coronavirus to ruin the world at the moment? And here again, I think it's really important for us to kind of, you know, ask again, what do we mean by this? What are we exactly exploring? And asking another question to clarify. And I say at this point, do you mean that you have a problem with God allowing death? Because with all the things in this category, with all the questions that we might get asked around this, death is the problem. No one is bothered that earthquakes exist. No one is bothered that coronaviruses exist. The problem is when they kill people. You know, to show what I mean, earthquakes happen all the time at sea, uh, and there's all this kind of damage going down at sea, um, but they never make the news because they don't harm anyone. Coronavirus, unless you're a scientist or a doctor maybe, you will have never heard the word coronavirus until a year ago, and yet they existed for forever. They've been around forever. COVID-19 is just one form of coronavirus. The problem is that COVID-19 is a particular variant that kills people. <clears throat> so the key question is, why does God allow death? Why does God allow things that kill people? And I just want to spend the remaining time for us together five, ten minutes or so, thinking around this topic. Why does God allow death? Because death is incredibly painful. <clears throat> death is incredibly painful whenever it happens. No matter if it's a quick sudden death, where people feel like they didn't get a chance to say goodbye, but death is also, of course, awful if it's drawn out and long and there's so much suffering going on. Either way, it is painful Whatever way we look at it, you and I have a problem with death. We feel, find it really, really uncomfortable. And I just want to ask why. Why do we find death so uncomfortable? Now, hopefully you're aware of the film Lion, The Lion King. It's a, it's a film that I've watched a lot of times in my life, but especially at the moment because my toddler has, has really got going through a phase of loving lions, and he always wants us to put it on the TV, and sometimes uh, quite a lot we, we will put it on the TV. And in it, it has this theme, the circle of life. And at the beginning, I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't watched it, but if you haven't watched it, make sure you change that. Um, <laughs> we have Mufasa, the dad, and he has explained to his son that we are all part of this great circle of life. The strong eat the weak, the lions, they eat the antelopes. Then when the lions die, the, the lions' bodies become the grass, and the antelopes eat the grass, and that completes the great circle of life. And it's true. The circle of life is, is true. 
Um, we all know it. It's something we, you know, it's just how the world works. And it has done since forever. But therefore, we need to ask the question, why, if, this, if death, life and death is the most natural thing in all of creation, why do we find it so painful when human beings die? Now, if someone believes that there is no God, and we are simply the result of a gradual process of you know, evolution and random events and development, and we're simply just animals with larger brains than the rest, that there is nothing eternal about us. We don't have a soul. Uh, if someone believes that, then why do we find it so painful that when people die? Why does it feel wrong? You know, strong things eat weak things. This pandemic is just a you know, survival of the fittest at its core. But the thing is, we do find it difficult. We do care. And it does matter. Of course it does. And I think this indicates to us, deep down, that we know that there's something not right with how this world works. We know that there's something not right. It's, it feels like, you know, that there's this, we're destined to live in a world where death doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia books, he said this, you know, being surprised by things like this is like a fish being constantly surprised about being wet. You know, going around, blah, blah, oh, I'm wet. Blah, blah, oh, I'm wet. Like, it's, it's so odd. But he said this would be very strange indeed, unless, of course, the fish were destined to become one day a land animal. And what C.S. Lewis is doing there is he's using a picture to describe the reality that whilst things like death are so ordinary, they're so normal, they're the most natural thing in the world, death is the most natural thing in the world, along with taxation. But yet every time we find ourselves at a funeral, we think this is so painful. This doesn't feel right. This feels broken. It feels wrong. It feels like we're in a world where this shouldn't be this shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be like that. And actually, it feels like maybe there might be a world where there, one day there isn't something like death. And I'm longing for that world. What, what is going on there? I think and I believe that underneath the pain that we all feel when someone dies is the reality that the Bible speaks of, that this is not how creation was supposed to be. This is not how the world will always be. That is exactly what the Christian gospel is all about. That is what the Bible, the big narrative of scripture is all about. This is what we believe. This is our Christian message. That at the very start of things, the beginning, Genesis, God made the world with no death, no suffering, no pain. And then in the garden, a snake comes in. The, you know, the enemy comes in, the evil, sin enters the world. And then God declares, because of the sin, uh, the sin that's happened, the world is cursed. And it doesn't say that God is the one doing the cursing, you know, it just says that it's cursed. But it's because of sin, rebellion against God and his will, uh, that death enters the world. Because unless people die, then sin will just continue, evil will just continue forever. And ultimately, the reason why there is death is because otherwise people who do evil things will live forever and ever and ever, and, and that will always be with us. There has to be an end. But, and this is a massive resurrection-sized but, the first thing that God says after he declares the world that is cursed, the first thing he does is he turns to the snake and he says, you are going to be crushed 
you evil are going to be crushed under the foot of a descendant of the woman. A human being, a man is going to come and he's going to stamp on your head and wipe you out. It will be costly to him, you know, you'll bruise his heel, but you will be crushed under that human being's foot and the descendant of the woman will save, make, make everything right again. And that is what we believe Jesus does. That is the core of the Christian message. That is what the resurrection is all about. He takes on sin and death and the devil, and it was incredibly costly for him. He died on that cross. But actually, the effect on him was nothing like it was for the devil, because three days later, he rose again. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And he guaranteed the resurrection of all things, of all of us, that we one day will live in a world where there is no death, no pain, no suffering. That is the Christian story. And for those of you wondering, uh, you know, that is what our massive long reading that we had from 1 Corinthians 15 is trying to describe. Paul is trying to tell the story, uh, the Christian gospel and the meaning of the resurrection uh, to us. As Nigel read to us, it says that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But then later, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This passage summarizes the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it makes sense of the anguish that you and I feel at death. Because the story says that, that human beings are not supposed to die. We're not supposed to die. This was not God's plan for creation. And one day there will be a world where there is no death. There, is, there will be a world where we are resurrected at the end of all things, when Christ returns, and we will know a, a, you know, a new heaven and a new earth, where there will be no pain and no suffering. And this is stuff Paul talked again about last week. But for now... We live in the gap of history between the moment when Jesus was resurrected, when he secured the victory against death and sin, and the moment when he returns and that, and that new creation uh, comes into being. And living in that now and the not yet moment, in that gap of history, that's incredibly painful. That's incredibly tough. I, taught, I actually did a sermon this time last year looking at unanswered prayer and why God allows some people to be healed and others not. And I talked about this tension of living in the now and the not yet. Again, we'll link that in with the resources that we share. But that is why we struggle with death. That's why we find it so painful. And that is why, whilst I can't answer why God allows so much suffering, what I can say is that God has provided the solution to the big world's, the world's problem, all of creation's problem. He's become the solution to that suffering. And personally, I can say that when I view earthly death, remembering the eternal salvation, having the perspective of the resurrection, then somehow I'm able to kind of cope and, and, and keep living in this tension. Death is not such a potent elephant in my mind. It's not quite such a, uh, a tough topic in some ways. And then I ask myself the question, well, shouldn't I be praying more for Jesus to return? Shouldn't I be praying more, earnestly, more often, for Jesus' return to come and end that suffering? And maybe that's a question we can all ask ourselves. And the answer, I would imagine, is yes. 
praying for that resurrection now and an end to suffering now. Please, Lord, we just ask you to come. Amen.